sell the book to you. Now, on the screen you'll see, you put the first slide up. The story of God and me is about a journey that shows how God has innate desire to have intimate fellowship, relationship with every person on this planet. And he has laid out such a plan in the pages of his word, which is a roadmap for us to follow. In this journey, you will experience dynamic relationship that changes your life and gives you enough strength to face life's challenges. His presence and personal encounters are made available for everyone who embarks on them. And I've had many encounters with the Lord, and I treasure every one of them because each one of them draw me closer to the Lord. This adventure or journey is a series of discoveries that will bring joy, excitement, euphoria, fulfillment in your life and destiny. You will come to know God in new light, learning what it means to be face to face, be with a divine, as described in John 17. The Lord took me to John 17 as the launching pad for this book and talked about the oneness that the Father had with Jesus and the Holy Spirit and with the believers. And I share all about that and what it really means to be one with Him. It's this face-to-face. -face. How important is face-to-face -face relationship? However, there is also a personal cost that will be rewarded with God's favor and blessing. It's in the book. Enjoy reading it. Now this morning I want to share the, the testimony I have of my healing is in the last chapter of the book because I can only share some headlines with you this morning because of time uh, with my cancer journey and you can read the rest in the book. But back in late 17, 2017, I was asked to build an eye clinic hospital in, for a Lutheran mission in Madagascar we've done several mission trips where we've done I've taken teams over to do buildings store buildings for the missions and so Bev and I brought tickets on the 4th of April and we were scheduled to leave on the 25th of April in 2018 now to do that I'll normally go first to do a preliminary job to do research and everything else that goes with it so that I can bring a team there however on Wednesday the 11th of April at 1.15am I woke up with terrible pains in my chest and woke bed to bring the, to bring the ambulance. The paramedic checked my heart and concluded it was okay. So off to hospital. And of course there they did many tests and uh, finally they did a scan and then I waited till the early hours of the morning after dawn was broke the doctor came and Indian doctor came and told me the good news which was he said and I quote well you have a large shadow on your stomach wall and top of your bowel and I think it's cancer well that was a welcome to the cancer world I knew nothing about cancer I have to be honest I didn't know how many people are suffering this wretched disease it is a wretched disease. I hate cancer. And I can tell you that sincerely from my heart, what I've been through. But anyway, the doctor said, I'm going to give you an injection, then you can go home. Well, of course, on the way home, I had to ask Bev to stop the car, and I started my new role of vomiting. And... Uh, but anyway, the doctor, the doctor said, look, we can only fit you in two weeks' time to do endoscopy so that we know what sort of cancer that we're dealing with. And so I said to Bev, I'm not waiting two weeks because we're supposed to be flying out soon and uh, I want an endoscopy done ASAP. So I went to my own private doctor and I took the, the hospital reports and showed him and he looked at it and he said, Oh, bummer. Well, that's when it hit me. We talked about not going to Madagascar. We talked about treatment and all the other things that are necessary. But I came out of that and 
sat in the car and rang Bev and just cried. The shock hit me. I had a death sentence. After I, the doctor organized an endoscopy straight away and then also let me go to a hematologist and I, the, the diagnosis came back with a non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It's a treatable blood cancer and before long I was sitting in the oncology clinic for eight hours having about seven, seven bottles of chemotherapy pumped into my veins over that time. Well, two weeks later, because I went home and I got nauseous, I got sick, and did vomiting and all the things that they do. Two weeks later, the doctor rang me, a hematologist, and said, sorry, Bill, we have wrongly diagnosed you. We sent your sample of your cancer to America, and the truth is, you have what we call triple hit lymphoma. A very aggressive cancer, the worst kind that you can have. And I talked to some of my doctors, friends of mine who are my clients, and most of them didn't even know, They'd never heard of it, because it only has been around for a short time, discovered in America. Now let me explain something about lymphomas. Lymphoma, of course, is a tumor of the lymph nodes. With normal lymphoma, there are two kinds. There's non-Hodgkin's and there's Hodgkin's. You know that? And there's about 49 different species of that. Now, triple head is on a separate category on its own. But with Hodgkin's and non-Hodgkin's, what happens is there are two, there is a mutation of two genes in your body that changes and alters the body structure. And that's what forms a tumour. They're wild cancerous cells. And they come alive and we all carry cancerous cells in our bodies, every one of us. And of course, in some people, they, they come alive and some people they don't. We don't know why. Doctors don't know why. But with triple hit, there are three genes that mutate together, that change and then alters the body structure. And therefore, triple hit lymphoma is a very, very aggressive cancer. So aggressive that this was in April, back in December, I had a hernia operation and they had to do a scan on my body. And uh, they actually checked back to look at the scans and there was no cancer. And so all this happened in just a short space of time and the, the, the aggressiveness of this cancer. And so to counteract this cancer, the clinic that discovered it designed a very special, aggressive, toxic chemotherapy form. Now, the doctor said I would have to go in the hospital for three weeks for six times six more treatments and be hooked up to a chemo bottle for 24-7 for five days and the last day I would have to go through a spinal tap and they would take the fluid out and they would check the fluid because the nature of this cancer travels up your spinal column and hits your brain and bingo. And the doctor said if you go through the treatment this treatment will give you at least 67% chance of living. So that was my diagnosis. The pattern of my life changed dramatically. I'd go to hospital, have chemo, spinal tap, go home, become nauseous, vomit like crazy, then go back to hospital, get it under control, go home for a few days and come back for round two. Do the same repeat, do round th three, do round four, do round and now after rain four, I ended up in the ICU for a week because my heart was affected. But uh, end of August, I went in for my last treatment, but never came home until November the 3rd. I lived in the hospital.
Now, halfway through my treatments, of course, the, the tumor did begin to shrink. Now, the chemotherapy, of course, a lot of people don't like it. I didn't like it, but uh, I've talked to my doctor friends. I have three specialists, four specialists, and uh, they, they tell me what they believe and what they think. And I checked out the alternative treatment and did a bit of research on it. And my uh, oncology lady who was in charge there, Shelley's her name, and so I sat down with her. I said, okay, what do you think about alternative treatments before I even decided to go ahead? And then she said, well, yes, you can have treatments. And I read a book about vitamin C, big, large doses of vitamin C. And uh, but that didn't turn me on. And so she said, you can do whatever you want. And I've got people coming into this clinic who reject chemotherapy because it is poisonous. And they said, no, we're going alternative. The tragedy with this story is she said, usually in three to four months time, they come back and said it didn't work. Can you help me? And by that time, it's usually too late. So you guess what I did, I went through it. Now the chemotherapy had an adverse effect on my body. It does on everybody that has it. And uh, what happened was it developed scar tissue in my stomach and it blocked the hole where the food normally goes down. And so I couldn't eat. I just wanted to vomit. They were so concerned about me losing weight, they said, you've got to eat, you've got to eat. I said, I can't eat, because I'll only vomit. But you, you're losing too much weight. And so I ate and vomited, ate and vomited. There you go, that was my life. And then I said to the specialist, okay, what are you going to do for me? Are you going to cut this rubbish out? I'm sorry, Bill, but we can't. Because number one, we're going to have to cut too much of your stomach out. Number two, we're going to have to cut some of the top of your intestine, small intestines out. And the problem there is, if you don't know, the top of your small intestines from the stomach onwards is the most important part of your intestine system because that's where all the nutrients that your body needs is absorbed. If it gets cut out, I'm a goner. So, so it didn't help me much, did it? But he said to me, he said, what we can do, we can stick a tube down, go through, drill a hole through the scar tissue, and then um, put a tube in and feed you with a special, a special formula from the hospital to make stuff for you. So you can put on weight, and then what we could do is a re-plumbing job. I said, what do you mean by that? Well, we just cut a new hole in your stomach, in the good part of your stomach, and we cut a hole in the good part of your bowel, we stick them together, and bingo. That's what they did. As soon as that tube was in, I started to put on weight, and had the operation, and I was on my road to recovery and rehab. So there's the headlines. Now the thing, the five lessons I've learned from my cancer journey that touches different areas of my faith. See, everything you go through in life, is relevant to your faith. Your faith has to become tested in order to grow, to become stronger. And every one of us will go through some sort of trial, some sort of difficulty. And so, this is what the scripture says. And so these are the things that I want to share with you. But before I share these aspects about my faith, may I be very clear that I do not, I do not believe or hold on to the belief that God puts sickness or disease on anybody. Hello? God will never do that. The scripture is very clear on that. However, I do uphold the fact that God allows things to happen to us. 
And we have to accept the fact that we are part of a fallen, broken human race. And we all are susceptible to sickness and disease. It's not wrong, it's not sinful to become sick. Did you hear me? You're quiet. Now, you have to understand that as a Christian. I was reading this morning in my Bible. I thought I'd read it to you. James. James chapter 2. No, chapter 1, verse 2 to 4. Dear brothers and sisters, when trouble comes your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. But when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Hallelujah. So to become complete, let your faith grow. How can your faith grow? Be tested. And this is what happened to me. All right. So this is what I want to share with My faith, number one. There are five things, and they're on the board. Okay, my faith is about perspective and deleting the Y syndrome. My faith is about hearing from God and knowing His presence. My faith is about my spirit being, being untouchable and living out of my spirit, not my emotion. My faith is about hitting the wall and relying on community. And my faith is about never surrendering or giving up. Pretty good, eh? Well, let's discover what these points are. Number one, I was, when I was diagnosed, I entered a state of shock. And when you enter a state of shock, and this happens to everybody, when they go through shock, all the wise questions come into your mind. Why did this happen to me? Why do bad things happen to good people? Hello? And this is a rare, very real issue. And a lot of people are suffering because they don't understand. I didn't understand. But I've got all these why, 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 what have I done? Have I committed sin? Have I done this or whatever? Couldn't get it out of my head. It's natural. It's a normal reaction. So please understand that. I've been fit and healthy all my life. No medication, served God since I was 16. Why would this happen to me? And the trouble is when your mind goes, hey, why? You can't read your Bible. And I started praying and my prayers were just bouncing off the ceiling. And I, in a state of shock, I was in a mess. And I'm trying to handle life. I'm sure some of you can identify with me. In what I've gone through, you might be going through it yourself. But I had to take stock of my mind. We all do. Because the mind is the gateway into your spirit. I knew I had committed, I had not committed any sins. I had to remind myself that, I was, yes, I'm part of a fallen human race. Thanks to Adam. But I, here I am. I've got this problem. The wise. Wise. All the wise coming through my mind. But don't forget, your faith needs to grow. But the big question that I think we should be asking, not the why question, but where is this leading me? Where is this leading me? Now, <clears throat> I knew a lovely friend of mine, Pastor Alan Morris, and at conference we met together and, and I was sharing my story about cancer and I was, I was on rehab and he was telling me that he had also lymphoma. and. But the chemotherapy didn't have any effect on him. And the doctors told me this, that some people will respond to chemotherapy, other people won't. And it's just a matter of seeing how it goes. And the doctors don't know, 
what to do else they've got no other cure for cancer and so here's poor Alan Morris and he died now why would he die he's got a beautiful family he's a pastor of a lovely church he's young and here I am being a dinosaur as my grandson says and here I am still alive why you see there are mysteries in life and there will always be mysteries in life that you will never understand so we need to quit trying to understand these mysteries God will never answer the why questions he works on the principle of faith so how do we do that when you're in a mess you can't pray or read the Bible like I was and I'm trying to hang on with your life trying to make sense of where I'm going so I believe that we need to open up a secret file in our subconscious mind see the subconscious mind is like a filing cabinet and there's a lot of files in there well I want you to open a new file called the mystery box alright and make a title God is sovereign you see when you go through life and you don't understand why you're going through hardship or sickness or why you've lost a loved one why there's been an accident all these whys you don't understand it I'll tell you you'll never understand it file it in the mystery box in there and trust God and let God be God that's what we need to do and I want to share some scriptures that validate what I'm sharing with you Ecclesiastes chapter 11 verse 15 says just as you do not know the path of the wind and how the bones are formed in the womb of a pregnant woman so you do not know the activity of God who makes all things so you'll never understand how God works hello here's a scripture to prove it number two Isaiah 45 15 truly you are a God who hides himself O God of Israel's Savior did you know that God hides himself sometimes where are you God you feel left alone you feel rejected you feel God's rejected you you start to blame God God's not at fault. You just don't understand God's ways. You don't understand God, how God works and how He hides Himself. Proverbs 25, verse 2 says, It's God's privilege to conceal things and the King's privilege to discover them. Now, conceal means to hide, to keep hidden, disguise, to veil it or cover it and keep it out of sight. And this is what God does sometimes. Remember, it's all about your faith growing stronger. This is the bigger picture. Your faith needs to grow stronger. You need, every one of us need a mystery box in there. With a fire called the mystery box. And put your stuff in there. Hallelujah. Put it all in there. You got it? And this is what God does. God knows best. See, a dear friend of mine in the church where never when I was there, and uh, this friend of mine, her son was killed when he was very young in a car accident. And this woman, every time I saw her, well, most times I, she saw me, she would always, always ask me, why did my son have to die? Why did it happen? And she went on like this for years. And on top of that, her husband was not saved. And she's been praying for her husband over and over. And then she'd come and tell me when I used to visit her, why hasn't God answered my prayer about my husband? Why isn't he saved? 
it's a mystery. You'll never understand it. But I used to say to her, don't worry. It'll all work out in the end. It'll work out. And about three months ago, I had the privilege of leading him to the Lord and then he died. It happens. See, it's about your faith. The terrible tragedy with this story is this woman never grew in her faith level beyond the wise. She stagnated at that level. And that's what happens when you're not prepared to file something in your mystery box and then trust God and say, okay, God, you're God, you're sovereign. I'm going to let you be God in my life and I'm going to trust you no matter what, even if I don't understand it. It's in your hands. Point number one. Point number two. My faith is about hearing from God and knowing his presence. Now when of course I ended up in hospital permanently, even though I was still in a mess, I decided to read my Bible and to, I started to read the Psalms, because Psalms are always encouraging, you know that, don't you? When you're down, you read the Psalms. That's normal knowledge. So I started from chapter one and I started to read several, several chapters every day. And I just let it into my spirit. And then several weeks went by and then I got to Psalm 41. Whoa. Did my heart leap for joy. God spoke to me. The heavens opened. And let me read this beautiful psalm. What God spoke to me about. See, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. And the thing that I want you to learn about this point is no matter how much of a mess we're in, no matter what we're going through, we are responsible to position ourselves to hear from God. Do you know that God wants to speak to you? And when you're in a mess, that's the best time God wants to speak to you? Did you know that? Trust me. After 50 years of experience, I know. He wants to speak to you. And so as I read in this, this psalm just leaped out at me. And let me read it. God always blesses those who are kind to the poor. Dingo, the lights went on. Because I've always had a heart to minister to the poor and needy over our ministry. Then God says, they're the first ones God helps when they find themselves in tr any trouble. Oh, that's me. I'm in trouble. And the Lord will preserve and protect them. They'll be honored and esteemed while their enemies are defeated. Oh, thank God for that. And when they are sick, oh, here comes the lights on again. God will restore them lying on their bed of suffering. He will raise them up and restore them back to life. Man, I was leaping for joy. God spoke. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Position yourself. You see, when God speaks to you, the thing that I learned was that you've got to feel on it. Let it into your spirit. Become, let it become revelation to you. Because when it becomes revelation to you, it quickens your faith. There's a dynamics that happen in, inside of you. And here, brothers, Scott Nickel here is visiting and with me here today. He was a friend who visited me regularly in hospital. And one thing he always did, and I thank you for it, Scott. He always, before he left, I want to read this portion of scripture. What do you want read? Psalm 41. You see, the more I heard it, the more it got into my spirit. position myself I've fed on it I let it become part of me so that my faith would enhance what God was saying to me 
See, once he has spoken, not only is he in control, but I also knew that he was with me. Because at that point in time, man, the heavens were as brass. I was in a mess emotionally in every way. I knew. I knew without a shadow of doubt he's still with me. I've always lived by the principle of faith and believing what Hebrews 13, 5 says. For you always have God's presence. For hasn't he promised you, I will never leave you alone. Never. And I will not loosen my grip on your life. He's with us always. Even though you may not be conscious of it, he's still with you. Even though you don't understand what's happening in your life, he's still with you. Position yourself to hear from God. Don't just throw the Bible on the shelf. Well, I can't bother be bothered because I'm in a mess. That's the time when you need to read it. Hallelujah. I progressed in my cancer journey. My body became so frail. I was bedridden. I would lie in a fetal position. I would become more silent. But I knew he was with me. I never doubted his presence. And the frailer that I got, the more I felt protected by his presence. It was like, to describe it, it was like the cocoon of his presence. And he just put me in that cocoon. And that's where I rested. It's like what Hebrews says, you know, that there is a rest of the people of God. I rested in that promise in his presence and he was taking care of me I was one step away from death but see when he's with you you've got nothing to fear position yourself to hear from God and remember he's with you always the third principle my faith is about my spirit being Spirit man being untouchable and living out of my spirit, not my emotions. Now, of course, we can't help being emotional. We are emotional beings. But the trap is that if you let your emotions control you, they're in trouble. That's why, as Christians, our responsibility is to live out of our spirit man. Another one. Karen. Karen. Where are you, Karen? <clears throat> All right. So here I am, I was diagnosed. When I was diagnosed, look, I couldn't even say the C word for two weeks. Because I knew it was not from God. The devil owned cancer. He puts it on people. But when time came for my treatment, I knew I had to acknowledge that yes, I did have cancer. I had to own it. Not in the sense that it belonged to me, but it was in my body. And it was, and it was a death sentence. So, but once I owned it, I went into treatment, of course, and the journey continued. So what do you do when you've got cancer like that? I had to make a stand in faith because I had to learn to live out of my spirit being. And I remember my daughter, Shelley. Thank you, darling. Isn't she gorgeous? Yeah. I had to... My, my, my youngest daughter rang me and of course I told her I had cancer and she just cried and cried and cried and cried I couldn't understand why she was so so terribly distraught because I had it and I, I assured her look darling I'm going to stand I'm going to fight this thing it's going to be okay I made a stand but she just cried and, 
And I didn't realize till later when my daughters, they all put a report into my book about what they went through, through my journey, and my wife as well. And uh, so Shelley used to work in the wards. She was on administration. And she used to work with people who got diagnosed with cancer and, and the traumas that they went through. She knew what was ahead of us. And what we would go through. So I made a stand of faith and I lived out of my spirit. Because the war in the flesh will continue. But living in the spirit is paramount to overcoming the flesh and the emotions. How is this possible? And I think, first of all, knowing the scriptures is a very good part of, of this walk. It has to become your value system. The knowledge of the scriptures. That's my value system. I live by this book. I live by the principles of this book. And my stand in faith is based upon what I believe. And what I've learned over the years. And yes, and I knew all about the fact that yeah, I am a child of God. I am sealed by the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1, 21, 22 says, Now he who established us with you in Christ, anointed us as God, who also sealed us and gave us a spirit in our hearts as a pledge. See, when God seals you through the born-again experience, the devil cannot touch you. Your spirit man, that is. He can touch your body. But he can't touch your spirit man. And if you live out of your spirit, you're free from yourself. Amen? You have to understand that. So I knew Satan could not touch my spirit being. And I was sealed. Even Ephesians 1.13 says, Having also believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You're in God's hands, friends. He hasn't left you. He hasn't deserted you. Remember what Job did when he was taken away and everything was taken away from him, even his health, as well as, as, well as his ability to worship. He loved to worship. And of course, here he is in a mess. But he never denied God and he was known as a righteous man. That's what Job was. And throughout his journey of illness and everything that happened to him, he continued to trust God. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. But he had three friends. They're like Christians. They tell you the worst. I tell you, when I got diagnosed with cancer, my story was spread around fast and wide. And this one brother rang me and told me all the horrible things that happened to him when he got chemotherapy. I didn't want to hear that. It happens. But you see, because Job was living out of his spirit man as much as he could, he, continued, he maintained his faith in God. God was so fed up with the three friends of his, finally in the end God told him to shut up. Don't say another word to Job. But I want you to give him some cows. What? Yeah, give him some cows. I've seen Job if you want to read it. Give him some cows. Now why would why on earth would Job want cows? So he can worship them. First thing he did was sacrifice. Put it on the altar. Out of his spirit, man. Hallelujah. Live out of your spirit. That's the important thing. No matter what we go through. I went through eight years of wilderness where I died inside. But I tell you, I maintain my walk with the Lord. 
You've got to learn to live by the Spirit. It's in the book if you want to read it. Number four. My faith is about hitting the wall and relying on community. Now this is an unusual thing. But in one of my early visits to the oncology clinic, I was sitting on bed in the hospital, in the clinic. And Bev was there and the head nurse was there. And we're all talking. And I was processing all the trauma, what I'm going through, my diagnosis, all that was going to happen, all the treatments that I was going to go through. And I got to a point where I couldn't handle it anymore emotionally. So I just burst, sitting on the bed, I just burst into tears. And let it all hang out. Sometimes it's good to do that. What happened next was the, the head nurse. Now I'm, I'm busy crying. I'm busy blubbering. I'm, I'm, I have a melt, I'm having a meltdown. Okay. But this nurse, she grabs my arm and she says to Bev, he's hit the wall. And I, I could hear her saying it. But she held my hand, my arm. And after I composed myself, I then said to her, I said, what do you mean? I hit the wall. And she said this to me. He said, every person that has trauma will hit a wall emotionally. They have like an emotional breakdown. It's not an actual breakdown, but it is a meltdown. A breakdown emotionally. But the, th but the fact, what happened was that when she touched my arm, you know what I sense? I mean, she didn't say audible words, but I felt what was in her heart. And I could hear her silent words say to me, it's all going to be okay, Bill. It's all going to be okay. You see, it is the power of touch. And we've forgotten that. How we can be a blessing to those who are going through the mill. To come alongside of them and to encourage them. And here's this woman. I mean, I don't even know whether she's a Christian or not. But I tell you what, she was God's angel to me at that time. And I felt ministered to The power of touch. And we all need that. Jesus knew the power of touch. He said in Matthew 17, 9, and Jesus came to them and touched them. He touched them. He knew the power of touch. We need the community of the church to help, each, help us to go through. And, and I have had some faithful friends who stood alongside of me like Scott and ministered to me while I was in hospital. And I, I really appreciate them so much. What they were doing, they were coming alongside of me. They were ministering to me. We have lovely Filipino friends in our church and, and when we had a Maruchado, they all came and they, put their hands on me, they just ministered to me. My brother in Melbourne rang me every week, giving me support. And brother David Tom, he rang me from South Africa and prophesied over me that the fact that now that you understand suffering and God's given me a new compassion and to pray for the sick and you will see miracles, he said. And he told me his journey of cancer. So people will minister will come alongside and help. And we need the church. We need the community. You're not an island. If you want to be an island, 
Well, you are, you are then most vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. We need the support of a good church. And this is a good church. Oh, God. Darren, I'm surprised. I'm surprised at this. I'll try it again. And this is a good church. Oh, thank God. The last point. My faith is about never surrendering or giving up. I read another book while I was in hospital and this book was about 10 men who, who had a tremendous challenge in their faith life. They were, they were facing some of the most crucial circumstances in life but they held their faith strong and one of them was Martin Luther King. He pursued his dream for the equal rights of his people throughout America but he faced terrible opposition from both the white community and from his own party. Death threats were part of the relentless challenges he faced. Then came the death threats against his family. And finally, the threat of bombing his house with his family in it. He was about to give up. I can't take this any longer. When he decided to go and have a prayer time best thing he ever did and as he was praying it was the Lord came near to him and spoke the words son I'm with you I'm with you right through to the end it meant so much to him that he made a recommitment of his life and for the purpose of his life to do what God has called him to do he never surrendered his faith but it cost him his life and he was assassinated. You see, when you're close to death, like I was, lots of things happen. But when you're close to death, you think about dying. In fact, I even thought it was easier to die because I was only one step away. I'd lost 44 kilos. I was skin and bone. Couldn't do a thing. I began to think about death. I began to think about visiting my mother and talking to her about family. And I wanted to see my two kids who died in Bev's room. very real don't underestimate it but I had a choice and I knew that my family suffered a lot especially Bev there was many nights she would go home in the car and asked God to give her red lights so she could stop and wipe the tears off her eyes because she never knew whether she would see me again. She did that often. My own kids, Sonia walked into my room And she just backed down. She said, that's not my dad. I was so far gone. But I had a choice. I chose not to surrender to the promise of healing. And I just trusted in the Lord. And the Lord brought me through. So today I'm here as a testimony to God's healing power and to the wonderful work that the doctors have done in my life and nurses have done in my life. Just to finish up, 
I remember during my rehabilitation I was in the oncology clinic and there to thank the staff for what they'd done for me. And the nurse came and took me in and said, Look, I want you to meet a new patient. He's just been diagnosed with cancer. And when you go in the oncology clinic, I tell you, it's, a, it's an eye opener. The amount of people that come in and get injected with chemo, it's just horrifying. There's so much of it around. And, um, yeah, so this nurse said, come and meet this man who's just been diagnosed with cancer. And she said to the man, I want you to meet, and she said these words, the miracle man, the miracle man. They all thought I was as good as dead. The head nurse looked into my, into my bedroom, the hospital, and she's the one that I came very close to because she helped me a lot. And she couldn't even come in and talk to me because she thought I was as good as dead. I'm the miracle man. The Lord is good and faithful. The doctors have played a tremendous part. So never give up. Never surrender your faith. And if you've got an issue and your life's in a mess and you've got something that you don't understand, stick it in the mystery box. Let God be God and trust Him. It's all about your faith. Remember that. Never surrender your faith. Never surrender your faith. Amen. I want to pray for the healing for those who who need a touch from God. I'm going to make myself available. I'll hand the meeting over, and um, I'm happy to pray with you. And uh, my grandson will be at the back table. And if you want to purchase a book, he'll be there to take the proceeds from you. God bless you. Thank you for allowing me to come.